All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 now. Thank you, Eric, for snooping on my sermon manuscript. You have to have snooped my manuscript. Did you read? Is that why you chose those last two songs? Good grief. You're allowed to snoop anytime you want. Um, Oh, wow, wow, wow. The combination of those two songs with this text. Um, So I will mention that again at the end and remind you to go back to that. Um, Okay, so we finish our study of this paragraph for uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Um, take your hand out and read with me. I want to begin this morning with this quote that's about the whole paragraph. The message of sexual purity was a hard sell in Thessalonica. And clearly, the first round of teaching on this matter was not sufficient for some members of the church. The language of this passage could not be weightier or more emphatic. Though Paul employs euphemisms in describing sexual sin, he speaks with great plainness about what God expects and the consequences of disobedience. But the passage is also filled with positive words about God's will and calling as well as His empowerment through the Holy Spirit. From Paul's perspective, Christians must and can lead a life that conforms to God's and not society's norms. The present passage speaks loudly and directly to the church of our day which is still working through the implications of the sexual revolution. And he wrote that in 2002. (laughs) So our text today is verses 7 and 8, and the title is A God-Centered Approach. Well, no, the title is changed as of yesterday afternoon to find your calling to holy sexuality. Let me show you the God-centeredness of the passage as we begin, because there are many reasons for holy sexuality, and we've talked this month about the tremendous damage done by sexual sin, by the sexual revolution, by the sexual norms of our culture, and we've seen that even some non-Christians are trying to raise the red flag about this, um, because sexual sin damages your own mind and heart, and it might cause you to lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a job. But the thing is, <clears throat> when our desires are intense, and when we are focused on what would make us feel good, we'll blow right past all those dangers. Like Esau, we'll trade our birthright to satisfy our monetary appetites, our momentary appetites, I mean, when we're starving for sex. And so the ultimate key to holy sexuality is our relationship with God. So let's read through the paragraph now and just watch for the centrality of God. Verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now, that's the kind of phrase that it's easy for us to just blow right by 
But this means that this whole paragraph is for one kind of people. It's people who are in Christ. You've been united with Christ. You are in fellowship with the Holy God through Jesus Christ. And so this is a conversation in the Lord Jesus. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you. Where did the instructions come from? Through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Pause there for just a second. The way Paul words that, he puts a special emphasis on God. We could translate verse 7, for God is the one who has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And then verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So what we've been talking about this month is not some old-fashioned prudish Victorian rules about sex. This is about sex in the light of God. This is what God says, the God who created it. And it's about our relationship with Him. When the reality of God is brought into the room, the conversation about sex changes. Because God is there. That's why there's a direct connection between Darwinism and the sexual revolution. That's why porn stars love to mock God and even the idea of God. Because if God is out of sight, if God is out of mind, then it seems like we can do whatever we feel like. When God's in the room, the situation changes. So how do we bring God into our lives, into our pursuit of holy sexuality? Two simple points this morning. Find your calling and then walk with the one who called you. So first of all, verse 7, find your calling. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So as I've worked through these verses, it has helped me to try to think through them using a variety of just simple illustrations from everyday life because I think these are the kind of words of Scripture that sometimes we can just kind of go over quickly. It's kind of um, Bibleese, for lack of a better way to say it, that we don't, it does, the meaning doesn't necessarily sink in. So I've tried to think in pictures, and so I'm going I'm to mix metaphors many times this morning, uh, but I'm trying to, for my own heart, try to picture what this means. So first of all, we see here that God has called us and this is referring to our salvation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes to them, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. To this he called you through our gospel. So this means that we hear the word of God about Jesus. Whether it's on the radio or in a sermon or in a personal conversation or in a book we read or just in the Bible itself, it is the words of Scripture about Jesus that come to our heart. The bad news of sin and judgment, the good news of Christ crucified and risen, and God calls us to salvation with actual words. The words of Scripture. 
Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul told them that he knew God had chosen them for salvation because of how the word came to them. He said the gospel came to them not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the word of God came in an effective way, a powerful way. So, so picture Paul, he may have been preaching to a number of people, talking to them about Jesus in the market in Thessalonica, where he was probably working as a leather worker, maybe tent maker. But while Paul was speaking about Jesus, by God's Spirit, God was individually speaking to people and calling them to salvation. So what I'm trying to show us here is that God calls us not just in some abstract sense, but literally, with words, calls us to be saved. So you could picture a parent, you know, calling a child. like It's time to come inside. It's time to come home. You could picture workers trapped in a dark mine and then suddenly there's a glimmer of light as the rescuers start to break through and a voice calls to them in their darkness and in their, in their, in their trapped state. God calls into your darkness. He calls into your sin. He calls into your prison. And He called you into His marvelous light, First Peter 2.9. Into His family into his kingdom. So first of all, let's picture that literally because it is. God uses words and calls, though it's spiritual at the same time by the wind of the Spirit blowing. Picture it literally and picture it personally. God called you. You didn't just happen to hear this and respond. God called you to be saved. Now secondly, God has called us to or for something. Verse 7 again, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And we'll talk about impurity and holiness more in a minute. But first, just see in general, God called us to something or for something. We have all, in the last you know, year, these years of smartphones, we have all become good at the pocket dial and receiving the pocket dial. You know what that's like when you suddenly find yourself on the phone speaking to someone whom you weren't intending to be speaking to? And it's a little awkward because why'd you call? I have no idea. Didn't mean to. Okay, well, um, how you doing? (laughs) A phone call with no purpose. God doesn't call us like that. He doesn't call us accidentally. He didn't pocket dial you. And he always calls us for something. Actually, he calls us for many things. And so this gives us purpose. Baseball fans might picture the bullpen phone and the call for a relief pitcher to come in on purpose for a particular matchup with a particular hitter. He doesn't jog into the field wondering, whoa, lots of people here. I wonder what this is all about. I wonder why I'm here. He was called on purpose. I've been thinking this week of our sailors on the USS Eisenhower right now. They're not just training. They're not just practicing. They're carrying out strikes in Yemen and other locations in the Middle East. They are constantly watching the skies for aerial threats at themselves or other ships that they might need to shoot down. Their country has called upon them for a purpose. A sense of purpose is really important for doing the right thing. Crystal and I were in um, 
We were in New York City this last spring. We stayed in Queens, so we were riding the subway from Queens back and forth to Manhattan. And not long after that, I read an article about the boys who ride on top of the subways in Queens. Um, and it is terribly dangerous. But for many of them, it feels like they've got nothing to live for anyways. All the men they've known in their family ended up dead or in prison. So what's the point? Why not climb on top of a subway for the fun of it and see how it feels? When a person has no purpose like that, they are statistically far more likely to end up dead or in prison themselves. And the cycle just continues. And sexual sin can be one of those things that people do when they feel like, who cares? My life's so screwed up anyways. But Christian, that's not you. You've got purpose. God called you for a purpose, for many purposes. So, and this is where the, the title of the sermon, which is a little bit of a wordplay, because you don't literally need to find your calling. God's already given it to you. But the reason why I'm using that phrase is because that is a helpful phrase to think about in how we use that in English. We say, he found his calling. She found her calling. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean she got a job, Right? It means she found something that has real personal fulfillment and meaning. She found some connection between her skills and her interests and how those things might impact the world in a positive way. And the way most people use that phrase, it sounds kind of mystical, like you're one of those rare people who got lucky and found your calling. Most of us are kind of wishing that would happen. We're just stuck in some, you know, job we don't really like. And no one real. where did that calling come from? When people say she found her calling, who called her? Up to the universe, fate, don't know. But somehow she found her calling. But for the Christian, it's not mystical, it's not rare, and it's not something you actually have to find. God called you for really amazing purposes, and they're right here in Scripture. They're not a secret. Now, I know that there are specifics for each of our lives that, in a sense, we do discover as life goes along and we walk with the Lord. But in the bigger picture of our lives, every Christian should be able to say, I found my calling. I read about it (laughs) right here. My life has purpose and it's cool. The gospel is not just, do you want to go to heaven? The gospel is a call from the creator to you for a whole new life. Now and in eternity. And that's very important for holy sexuality. You've got something to live for. You matter. Your choices matter. Now, next point. God has called us to be a vessel that is not impure. So, what I'm doing here is I'm combining the verse 7, which says... God has not called us for impurity. And then I'm bringing in the word from verse 4. In our ESV, it's translated body. It's the word vessel. God called us to be a vessel that is not impure. This word impurity um, is almost always used for sexual sin in the New Testament. Um, But it helps us think about the impurity aspect of sexual sin. And again, illustrations help me. I've got measuring cups that I use in the garage for fertilizer. Woe to me 
if I bring them into the kitchen, having used them for fertilizer. There are toothbrushes for cleaning teeth and toothbrushes for cleaning other things. You don't want to mix them up. And that leads right to the next point. God has called us to be a holy vessel. Not impure, but holy. Holy meaning, as we've learned already, set apart. Set apart for a purpose. The measuring cups for the kitchen can't be used for fertilizer because they're set apart for people to use with food. A woman might have a special necklace that she kind of reserves for special occasions. And if the six-year-old daughter, I think the six-year-old is wearing one of mom's necklaces this morning, right? But with permission. If the six-year-old daughter wants to wear that necklace, the answer is no, sorry, you can't play dress-up with that necklace of mom's because that's just for special occasions. And so if we look back at verse 7, we can see that God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. The impurity is the opposite of holiness. God has set us apart from the sinful rebellion of the world, set us apart from sexual immorality, now so that we might be something beautiful and something precious and something very special for Him. I will never forget the first time I saw Lake Superior. I mean, I had seen it as a little kid, but when I was too young to know. But when I was like 11 or 12, my dad and I went on a road trip, and it was the first time I, I remember seeing Lake Superior. And we came in from, the, from the, the west side, from the Minnesota side, and we came to the western tip of Lake Superior, and I don't know where we were. I just know Dad took me out on a dock, and I can still picture looking down through that water, and I don't know how deep it was, but it's something like 15 feet of just absolute clarity all the way to the bottom. I mean, realize the nearest lake to me growing up was the Great Salt Lake. So maybe I was easily pleased, but it was stunning to look down through that that water of Lake Superior because it was clean. And so when verse 7 says, God has not called us for impurity but in holiness, it's reminding us that God did not set us apart to himself so that we could turn around and go right back to the world. He did not cleanse us and purify us so that we could go jump in the mud then. This is stated very vividly. 2 Peter chapter 2, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. God set us apart to stay set apart to live set apart, to grow set apart. The will of God for today in our lives is sanctification. He called us to be a holy vessel. And then, as we've already learned earlier in this passage, this means that God has called us to be a God-like vessel. I know we're familiar, probably familiar with this already, but If you were maybe new to the Bible, I think this would be a stunning surprise. God doesn't just say to you, I called you to be holy. He says, 
I called you to be holy as I am holy. Whoa! You are called to reflect the character of God. 1 Peter 1, we, that song we sang at the end there is from 1 Peter 1, 2. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is not talking about becoming God or something like that. It's talking about reflecting the character of God. We talked about it at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 4, but it's here in verse 7. He called us in holiness. He called us to himself, to be like himself. He sanctified us to be a God-like vessel. And sexual immorality is returning to wallow in the mire. It's a dog returning to its own vomit. That's not what God called us for. And then finally, God has called us to be a vessel of blessing. God called us not just to be beautiful and pure in His sight, not just, to, not just for Him to see a reflection of His character and of Christ in us, but for others to see a reflection of His character in us and for us to be useful, to be a blessing to others. Remember what we learned last Sunday. Sexual immorality takes advantage of others. And so the Lord Jesus is the avenger of all types of sexual immorality, not only because they're impure and unholy, but because they exploit. And God doesn't exploit anyone. God doesn't take advantage of anyone. And we are called to be a God-like vessel. A God-like vessel will be a vessel of blessing because that is what God is like. So God didn't call us to be like a pretty sculpture sitting on a shelf. He called people to make a difference among the people of the world to bring him glory by blessing his creation, to be a reflection of his heart and care for people. What is God's favorite way to show his blessing to people today? What is God's favorite way to show his blessing to people today? Now, I know in general there's an answer by saving them. But what is God's favorite way to show his blessing to people today? The answer is people. God's purpose in creation is that people would serve people. People would love people. People would bless people. And when God gets mad in his holy, just sense about sin, when he is an avenger, like we read last Sunday in these verses, it is because people are damaging people. His creation. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12 We've already seen there a call to abound in love for one another. Increase and abound in love. And chapter 4, if you look at chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, what does he start talking about right away? Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning what? Brotherly love. So this, this section about holy sexuality is sandwiched between two calls to abound in love for others. God created humanity to live in a world of honor and respect and kindness and carefulness and generosity and goodness and sacrificial love. But sexual immorality is the opposite. It is unlike God and it exploits people. And Satan has worked a masterful deception when he has persuaded our society to use the word love to describe sexual immorality. It is not love. It is not holy. 
It is not like God because God called us to be a vessel of blessing. So, here's the point. What if we stopped viewing sexual immorality as something we, we have to just, just try not to do? Like the dessert you left out on the counter and you're telling yourself you're not going to eat it, but it's there all day looking at you. What if we stop viewing sexual immorality as something we just have to try not to do and started viewing it as the opposite of our God-given calling and purpose? God didn't call us for this. A couple of weeks ago, I recommended a book that emphasizes this. It's Ray Ortland's book, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. He says in that book, you are God's royal ambassador to our broken world. Just sit on that for a second. You, with the remote in your hand, trying to decide what you're going to watch, with the mouse in your hand, trying to decide what you're going to do, with the phone in your hand, trying to decide what you're going to look at, you are God's royal ambassador to our broken world. And he says, if you embrace your high calling earlier in life than I did, you'll do so much good. Your high calling to protect others, to honor others, to nourish others, to bless others. Sexual sin says nothing matters except me and what I want. But the Christian life says God has called me to bless and serve other people. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Ortland says, <clears throat> and he's, he's intentionally saying this dramatically, but there is true principle in what he's saying. He says, every relationship is either Christ-like or predatory. And, and really, we have to understand that in terms of, of for Christians. Um, because obviously there are unsaved people who are not Christ-like but are not actually being predatory toward us. <clears throat> For the Christian, he's saying we should think this way. In every relationship, we are either being Christ-like or predatory. Meaning we're either being Christ-like or we're trying to take advantage of people for ourselves. You're either living out your God-given calling to bless others or you're trying to get other people to serve you and do what you want them to do for yourself. That's a strong way to say that. He's speaking in the context of men and pornography, so we have to keep that in mind. But, brother, sister, find your calling. You see why I'm using that phrase now? Find your calling. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's right here in his word. Why did God's voice call into your dungeon with the voice of freedom? Did he call you to live in sexual immorality? Is that why? No. He called you for the very opposite of sin and exploitation and harm. He called you to be like him and then to be his channel spreading his blessing to other people. Find your calling. Come back to your calling. Hear what God says about your calling. Now, verse 8 and the second of our two points for today. Let's read verses 7 and 8 together. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So, because God is the one who calls us to holiness, when we live in impurity, we are directly disregarding Him. So, I've worded it positively for our second point. Walk with the one who called you. The, The bent of the verse itself is not positive, though. The word disregard, often translated reject. If you reject God's calling on your life, God's will of holy sexuality, you are rejecting God directly. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is often used in situations where you have someone dealing treacherously or betraying somebody else. Like two kings have a good relationship, and they've got treaties and And then all of a sudden, one turns on the other, lies to him, stabs him in the back. One ruler betrays another. In Isaiah chapter 1, this is in your notes if you'll look with me, Isaiah 1. God says about his people, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. That's the place where he gets his food. He knows that His master feeds him. But Israel doesn't know. My people don't understand. Which means they don't understand all that I am for them as their father. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And that is the kind of language that Paul is using here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sexual immorality is a betrayal of the God who called us. And not just the God who called us, but as the end of verse 8 says, the God who gave His Holy Spirit to us. Bible scholars point out that here at the end of verse 8, Paul is echoing the language of this ancient promised Israel. You see it in your notes, Ezekiel 35. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A day was coming when God would give his people a new heart and his own spirit he would put within them. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 reminds us that though we're mostly Gentiles, God has now poured out his spirit on all of his children through Jesus Christ. And so the promised day that Ezekiel was talking about, it's your day. God called you to that. God gave you that gift. We live in the age of the new heart and the age of the spirit. God calls us and he puts his spirit in us. God Himself is with us on this calling. One Bible student wrote, to live an immoral lifestyle is to reject God's gift, to reject the Spirit. So I want to tie this to what we learned in Galatians 5. Just a second. We learned in Galatians 5 that if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, the Spirit is always leading you. Galatians 5, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
which all true believers are, you are not under the law. He's reminding the Galatians that this is true of them. As a believer in Christ, every day, God's Spirit is leading you toward holiness. The question is, are you following? Or, the way Galatians 5 says it is, so, is vivid and really helpful. Galatians 5 would ask us, are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Which is just an amazingly personal picture of what this is like. So, verse 25 If we live by the Spirit, which again, that's true, we do. We're only alive by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if He's leading us every day, that means that every day we have the opportunity to keep in step with Him as He leads us toward holiness. We can keep in step with Him or we can turn the other way. And our passage here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is teaching us that God did not call us so that we could turn the other way. He called us to walk with the Spirit, to be in step with Him, to walk further away from the corruption of the world, not to turn around and go back to it. So I love this combination of pictures. First, the picture of God calling us out of sin and slavery and darkness calling us into this glorious identity and purpose. And second, the picture of God himself walking with us in that calling. He gives us the gift of the Spirit so that we can walk with him every day. And so then Galatians 5 promises, we studied this, in the, in the strongest terms, like grammatically, Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not. You absolutely will not. He says it the strongest way you can say it. You absolutely will not gratify the desires of the flesh whenever you are walking in step with the Spirit. When you see the glory of your calling and the purpose of your life and when you're walking with the God who called you and gave you that purpose, the sexual temptations probably aren't going to go away, but they are going to lose power in your heart. So, the conclusion this morning is pretty simple. When we're struggling with sexual sin, we can be pretty certain about two things. First of all, we're living for ourselves, not our God-given calling. And when I say struggle, I mean we're giving in to sexual sin. When we're giving in to sexual sin, first of all, we're living for ourselves, not our God-given calling. We've lost sight of why we're here. We're not excited about the difference God has called us to make in the world because we're being part of the problem part of the mess, part of the damage. Our focus has shrunk all the way down to just ourselves and our own momentary pleasure. What would feel good for me right now? So first, we're living for ourselves, not our God-given calling. Secondly, if if we're giving into sexual sin, we're not walking with God. We're not in step with His Spirit. We're ignoring that, that gift. So when we're struggling with sexual sin, we can be quite certain that we're living for ourselves and not our God-given calling and that we're not walking with God, which means we're trying to fight off sexual sin without purpose or power. That's what those two things are. We're trying to fight off sexual sin without purpose or power, and it's never going to work. Can you imagine what it must be like to live in obedience 
as a man or woman of integrity building a world of nobility? What it must be like to be excited about living for the Lord every day instead of stuck down in that same pattern of hiding sin, feeling guilty, determining you're not going to do it again, trying to fix it, doing a little better, hiding sin, feeling guilty, making excuses, feeling bad, determining you're not going to do it again. That is miserable. And your life is not a blessing to others when you're stuck in that. They may not know it. They may not have any idea what's going on in your heart. But God called you for something so much greater than that. What would it be like to actually walk in step with the Spirit of God? Brothers, sisters, you don't have to be stuck there in that place. Don't come to the end of this series from 1 Thessalonians 4 and just keep on living that same life of constant struggles, weighed down by the sin that clings so closely to you. Stop being the dog who goes back to his vomit over and over again. Stop piddling around with sanctification as if it's just brushing your teeth like something you can just think about for a couple of minutes today, every day. It's your calling. It's your purpose. Cry out to the Lord like desperate. Do anything you need to do to seek the Lord. Turn the TV off and read and read and read or watch and watch and watch something holy and biblical and right. Turn your phone off. Pray and pray and pray. If you want a place to start, take those last two songs that we sang this morning. Here's a challenge for you. Take those last two songs we sang this morning, read and pray them every day for the next week. They are tremendously packed with two truths about this morning's sermon. Ask God to bring your heart to a place where you can say those things. You can pray those things. So, seek the Lord. Turn, turn the stuff of life off. Pray and pray and pray. But you also have to stop the hiding. Get honest. Open up. Get with brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. Get discipled. And discover the joy of living in your calling. Find your God-given calling to live like Him and to be His instrument of blessing to the world. That's what He called you to. All right. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to give our final benediction and charge. Will you take your Bible? Uh, No, don't, actually. I I want to just read it to you. Uh, Don't take your Bible. Um, Remember when we... I'm going to pray. I'm going to do benediction and charge. And then we're going to start right into Discipleship Connect. So Discipleship Connect, you guys just pair up together and talk about what the Lord's doing. GBC family, don't leave anybody out of that. Um, Look around and see who's just on their own and bring them in and build each other up in the Lord. Teens and 10 to 12-year-olds, remember, we start with you guys right away. So if you can just come back right away here and here, 
uh, that would be great. So we'll start Discipleship Connect in those classes right after the benediction and charge. Let me pray first, and then what I'm going to do is read to you 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And I hope you'll just listen and let both the blessing and the, and the charge from the Lord settle into your heart. Father, we pray now for the kind, powerful work of your Holy Spirit overcoming the, the way in which our hearts actually do want to go back to the vomit. We don't want to say that about ourselves, but it is true. We know it's true. You are greater. You did not call us for that. And so I pray for rescuing, powerful, spirit-enabled grace to break the prisoners free from sin, to bring to light what needs to be brought to light, to bring from impurity to holiness your children. Oh, help us. Please, for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now listen to these final words from the Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to you His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly love and, and with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.